Well, hello, boys and girls, sports fans and assorted waifs and strays. Guess who? It's Den here. And it is Saturday. I don't even know what date it is. Is it 21st? 21st 22nd? of March. 21st of March, 2020. And we're in week, well, I'm in week one of pretty much total blooming lockdown <laughs> in uh, a village in Yorkshire where there's no bread, there's no fruit and veg, but hey, Apparently the pub's doing takeout for beer this evening, so I don't know what's going to happen there. And with me today, I've got VJ, uh, VJ, VJ Sanka from um, IBM, global partner with a lot of people working for him, and he has a major financial services um, customer under his wing, who's just come back from India. Um, what's it like out in India at the minute, VJ? What's happening there? Yeah, India is. Uh... India is looking a little weird at the moment. People are not used to the idea of being quarantined. So uh -huh. the prime minister went on TV and asked everyone to um, do a trial run tomorrow, Sunday, uh, where they're asked to stay inside from like, you know, early in the morning till like nine at night. Uh -huh. um, I mean, he didn't call it a trial run, but I think that's what it is because this country has never done it, right? Except maybe in wartime many years ago, maybe 50 years ago. So um, India is slowly getting used to it. I, I just hung up with my, my mom and she's um, hunkering down for uh, a couple of days. Uh, not, not quite sure how, how this will evolve. So far, India hasn't had a lot of trouble, but then obviously they're not testing very much um, and they're taking a lot of precautions as well, right? So the social distancing and others, I think they're doing very, very well. Uh, probably better than we are doing here in the in the states. At least the the one state where I grew up in Kerala, they seem to be doing it much better. The government is uh, doing an admirable job. Uh, but I I pray to God that it doesn't break um, in India very much because given their um, you know densely populated nature, it would be pretty tough to contain if it if it breaks out in a big way. And the healthcare system there. Um, so healthcare system is um, kind of um, government sponsored. Um, and uh, there is obviously some public sector, sorry, private sector healthcare as well. Um, but it's a very large country, right? 1.3, 1.4 billion people. So uh, they will get overwhelmed very, very fast. So yeah. it's, it's, it's a good system, but you know, prevention is infinitely better than cure in, in India. I mean, probably true all over the world, but especially so in India. Okay. And are you are you essentially locked down where you are in Arizona or? Yeah, so I, I reached back from India, you know, I lost my father a few days ago. So I, I was in India for a while um, and I came back on Monday and then I have not left my home uh, since then. So I'm kind of in a self-quarantine mode. Yeah, what, what about your, your wife and daughter? Are the school shut, for instance? The school is shut. Uh, my wife's um, employer has also allowed her to work from home. So we are all home. Um, three humans and a dog staying home. Uh, she steps out and gets grocery and stuff. I, I don't. I've, I've been staying home given I just traveled abroad. Um, mm. And we're taking it one day at a time. That's all any of us can do at this point, isn't it, Vijay? Yeah, exactly right. And um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know about about you, but I'm... Well, I do know about you, but I mean, I'm, in this, I'm old enough to remember the immediate um, post-global um, war 
situation. And this has a very similar feel to it in many, many ways, in the sense that you know, people are panic buying, um, a lot of confusion, um, a degree of profiteering, I have to say, which yeah. doesn't sit well with, with many of us. Um, but more confusion than anything else, I, I, I think, uh, people not sure what they should or shouldn't do, despite the fact that the government, at least our government, is attempting to make some quote-unquote recommendations and give quote-unquote advice. It's like, yeah, okay, I think I'd much prefer if you actually told us that you should do this and should not do that. <laughs> but hey, that's, that's just me. I don't know. What, what, it's not much better where you are, I don't think, is it? No, no, no different. I don't think any of the governments were particularly prepared for this, right? I mean, they, no. they all kind of took it a little lightly to begin with and then went full force. But it's one of those things where the government by, by themselves, right, cannot do very much. So the citizens have to step up um, and help, you yeah, know, like flatten the curve essentially, right? To, to delay um, as much as possible this spread. And hopefully, you know, by that time we can increase the, the capacity of healthcare, um, you know, reduce the number of people, you know, that will all, all peak at the same time. Um, so, and, and that is not a, an easy solution for any government, right? It's not like a war, right? In a war, government can mobilize in a centralized fashion. Uh, in a pandemic, you know, we, we had to do our, our fair share too. So it's, it's kind of unique. So I don't think we can blame anybody. You know, we have to figure it out as we go. And we probably should figure it out in a, in a sustainable way because, you know, God forbid this could happen again, right? So uh, it's, it's better that we, we learn our lessons and we, we make some proactive plans on how to deal with it if, God forbid, it, it comes again. Speaking of proactive plans... What kind of things have you been doing to help your people? Yeah, so um, obviously we, we had pretty good business continuity plans. And a lot of people, you know, it's, um, I think when, when we pass this period and, and we look back, uh, most of our clients, right, the companies that hire professional services and, you know, cloud and whatever, you know, IT companies, mm -hmm. uh, they will look back and, and categorize their, their partners into two, right? People who had good BCP plans and people who didn't. Um, because, you know, it's not every day that you have to invoke um, a massive global BCP plan. Um, and we did, and we did it uh, successfully. Everybody had laptops and remote connectivity and so on tested. So in very short order, without missing a beat, uh, my whole team was able to, go remote um, and, and still support the client without dropping the ball. Um, and unfortunately, I do know um, not many companies could do that and it's productivity loss and mass confusion and, and, and so on as a result. BCP and you know, good, good operational discipline, these are considered boring things. Some consider it a waste of money and you know, they don't do a, a thorough job. Um, and then there is a price to pay. I mean, the chance of these things happening is minuscule, but when it happens, the impact is very, very high. So I'm, I'm very pleased, uh, very grateful actually for my team to, uh, to have had such a good uh, discipline on, um, on BCP and we could invoke it quickly and, uh, and continue our work. Now, how we sustain through this difficult period, you know, that remains to be seen. Uh, because at this point, it's not a technology problem or a process problem. It's more a human problem, right? Staying yourself motivated, uh, not seeing each other every day, right? I mean, those are not easy things to live with. And 
um, we are figuring it out as as we go right it's um, uh, it's not easy certainly not easy but everybody is hunkering down uh, thinking that it will take a, a little while and uh, we just need to get used to this mode of working what, what about the clients themselves I mean uh, uh, have you found them to be as well prepared or are you yeah, having to provide advice or it's a it's a uh, it's a spectrum and we are clearly advising um, many clients on on how to deal with this given you know we have a lot of experience doing this uh, under many different circumstances some clients are extremely well prepared and um, you know could um, you know, could continue um, you know with with their bcp plans with no problems many others couldn't sometimes um, it's you know um, things like laptops even if they want to give remote connectivity maybe they don't have 5000 laptops sitting in the, you know in any one place and you know uh, companies like my employer right like like ibm usually can step in and solve that problem some others might need spare server compute capacity right cloud capacity and um, but you know, obviously, in the industrial strength, security, and stuff, which overnight, if you need to turn it on, right, there are not many easy ways to do it. So they need help, um, and IBM and many other providers are are stepping up admirably to to do that. Uh, so it's it's a spectrum, just like with the provider side, right? On the client side, also, it's a spectrum. Some people were well prepared, and they spend time and energy and money um, on their BCP. Uh, and some didn't, and those who didn't, unfortunately, um, are facing some some pain. And uh, the providers are all helping what we can. But um, if you haven't spent that time upfront, um, it is tough to imagine that you know uh, you can get through it without some pain. So some some clients, unfortunately, will have to face a little bit of uh, of pain to get back to normal modes of working. Speaking of normal work, work modes of working, the other day you wrote. Um, something of a prescient piece i have to say about changes that that you're kind of anticipating or wondering whether uh changes that we're seeing in the services delivery model uh, are going to change and um uh, uh, maybe for permanently or, or not i don't know but i i saw everything that you wrote and immediately i i remember tweeting to you and saying i've been bitching about all of these things for, for years so you know are we going to see a permanent change or not so come on vj just talk about what you were saying there, the questions that you were asking. Yeah, I, I do. Um, I look at it this way, right? If um, we are fortunate and we snap out of this current problem in, let's say, a quarter, two quarters, something like that, I think we will go right back to how we were operating before this crisis happened, right? Uh, because one or two quarters, you know, everybody can find workarounds and just go right back to how things always work. But if it's going to take a longer time, which is what I think it will probably take, um, not happy about it, but you know, more like a realistic view, then I think our industry needs to uh, evolve and evolve really quickly. Uh, so yeah, so I, I do think, you know, and I, I should you know, make that standard disclaimer that this is just how Vijay feels. It's not how IBM or any of my past employers feel. Um, but to, never to, 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 today, today, VJ, that may change. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but I, I do feel um, there's a good chance that this industry will will need to evolve, uh, not just with project delivery, but with uh, with everything about how we work, right? How we measure success, um, whether we travel for work, um, you know, the, there's a the, how we staff, how we hire, right? All, all those things um, I think will evolve and and evolve fast. 
so the, the travel thing in particular is is interesting isn't it because you know the, the service delivery model is basically travel on a, a sunday or a monday work tuesday through thursday travel back home on a friday rinse and repeat however many times a year you have to do that um or, or something similar and it's almost like well we've gotten into that habit and why should we change and all of a sudden it's like actually you ain't got a choice at the moment so how does that work out right uh, yeah and and it's a good time to ask the fundamental question right go back to first principles and ask if even without the crisis was it really required to travel every week to get work done um, hmm. Some of it is pure inertia, right? Because we have done it one way for a very long time. Um, you know, I traveled all my life, right? Many million miles uh, there, hundreds, maybe thousands of uh, hotel nights. Um, it's not fun. Um, we all get used to it. Those airline and hotel points come handy for vacations and stuff. So um, we figured out a way to make it work. But we can and should question whether this was uh, needed for all projects. Now, clearly, FaceTime is required, um, and there is no substitute for that. But do we need consultants to travel every week, go sit at a client and do things that uh, probably 80% of which could have been done remote just as well? I think that is a question that needs to be asked. And some of it is also done for pure, very mundane reasons like, uh, there are clients who feel um, the only way to buy is, um, you know, times, uh, you know, uh, number of hours worked times a certain rate, and they cannot uh, figure out number of hours worked um, if the if the person is not right next to them. So that is why they force people to travel. But those are all uh, worth questioning at this point, um, both for service providers as an industry, as well as for clients, right? Because there is a, an element of inefficiency that comes with travel uh, that needs to be seriously questioned. And I think this crisis will, uh, at a very minimum, right, start uh, that process, right, where CFOs and uh, CIOs will, will all start asking that question, whether that was the best way to operate and can be changed for the better. What about, what about automation? I mean, again, we've talked about this for... For, for quite some considerable time, haven't we? In the sense, you know, how much could we automate such that the requirement for having people on site and so forth can realistically be reduced? We have talked about it for a long time. Is it, is it realistic to ask that question? Can we get a, a good answer to that? Yeah, so unlike travel, the question on automation had already been asked, um, you know, fairly significantly deeply um, in, in recent past, right? For the last few years, at least. So repetitive tasks, uh, things that don't need a whole lot of uh, fresh thinking. Um, there are plenty of initiatives going on around, right? Um, at, at clients that I firsthand know about, as well as what I read about. So uh, in general, automation, um, you know, that, that train has already been chugging away um, briskly. But I think um, it will pick up some pace, right? Because people were doing it mostly from an efficiency point of view, not a risk mitigation point of view. Now, suddenly with, with the pandemic, right, human beings become the risky part of the value chain. Um, and at least some subsection of, the, uh, of our clients, right, will start thinking, uh, you know, should we, should we even take that risk and should we automate even more? Uh, so that some of these critical processes, you know, it doesn't matter whether somebody comes down with a with a flu, uh, they can still still go ahead. 
So an additional dimension will, will come into play, um, I, I would expect. But on the, on the same token, I would say, you know, this pandemic also proved that not everything can be automated, right? Like uh, supply chain is a, is a classic example, right? Almost every supply chain expert that I know of, right? I, I spoke with many of them, um, you know, when I was sitting by my dad in, in India at the hospital, right? So most nights I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't get much sleep and I was talking to folks around the world, right? People that I know, almost all the supply chain experts that I spoke to were called in to help assess impact uh, for, for their clients. Um, and those couldn't have been easy with any kind of automation, right? That needed a lot of uh, human intervention, human experience, uh, past mistakes made, like a historical perspective and so on. So um, automation has this uh, twin-sided um, issue, right? That this pandemic episode will, will bring up that what are good automatable candidates in processes and what absolutely cannot be automated and need significant human, um, human thinking, right? Quality human thinking. Yeah, I mean, one of our local businessmen here, he only runs a tiny little shop, but they make um, packaging. And uh, he said, you know, we're not seeing any real change in demand. At the end of the day, people still need to have uh, things put into boxes and so forth. He said, but the real problem is, he said, what do I do with my workforce? He said, we've got a lot of stuff computerized, a lot of stuff's already automated, but you've still got to look after the machines. You've still yeah. got to take care of, you've still got to take care of maintenance. You've still got to move things around and and there are limits to what can be achieved with robots and automation and so forth said so I've, I've got to have my workforce capable of doing those things because otherwise i can't uh, do what's required to remain in business and i mean that's just one very small example i mean i can think of many many similar examples you know the butcher across the street he still needs to get meat delivered somebody's still got to handle the stuff you know there are just so many aspects of our lives that at the end of the day, they do require humans. And sometimes I think we forget that, right? Not sure. And it, it's, a, it's an interesting point on the, on the small and medium businesses, right? I think the pandemic will put the small and medium businesses uh, under considerable stress. Yeah. Um, a, a very simple example, right? Just from a, a grocery shopping experience, um, the small shop um, that, you know, like in in the U.S., you know, I generally shop at the at the larger shops because we don't have a lot of small shops where where I live, uh, except for a small few Indian shops, right, where we get Indian groceries. Uh, but in in general, I mean, since I was in India for a a few weeks now, um, I can see uh, people like my mother um, and uh, my aunts and so on, who have always walked up to the uh, the corner store to to buy their stuff. Uh, have now started ordering online, right? Once uh, this Corona thing um, came about, um, and I, I wonder and worry whether this will become a habit, um, because once you are used to ordering online and the convenience of it, I think the first casualty is probably going to be the the small businesses, and um, that that wouldn't be good for the economy. It wouldn't be good for humanity. But I I do have a, a fear that um, these folks might be the first to feel the uh, the economic pressure. I, I, I have no doubt about that at all, uh, BJ. I mean, you know, I, I moved back to the to the UK from the US, as you know, several years ago, and we very deliberately chose a place where everything is within a few minutes walking distance for several reasons. One is that I stopped driving quite a number of years ago um, and have no intention of, of getting a car again. Um, 
we are getting older. I mean, I'm basically a retirement age, allegedly. Um, and, so, and so, you know, we need to be able to get to shops. We need to be able to get to the local medical centre. We need to be in close proximity of a, of a bus stop because we do have public transport here, thank goodness. And we very deliberately made those choices, yeah? Yeah. The, all, all the local businesses are under strain, right? There's nothing in the shops just up the street from us. And so it's like, well, okay, can I go online now? Yeah, sure, of course you can go online. But it's going to be two weeks before we get a delivery because it's come under immediate stress and pressure. And yes. th there, there are clearly lessons to be learned from this. Quite what, they are at the quite what they are at the moment is anybody's guess, aren't they? But uh, just, yeah. just, return, just returning to, your, to, to what you were saying there, what about training? That was something that you mentioned and about the old apprenticeship system in the service delivery model it seems to have disappeared, doesn't it? What do you think happens there? So this is um, probably the biggest disruption um, to my world, um, you know, or, or, or the most fundamental difference, right? That the classic consulting model um, had undergrads and MBAs coming into the industry um, where we had long running projects, um, you know, strategy engagements, re-engineering projects, uh, large ERP implementations and so on, where obviously uh, the providers will build them at a very low rate. Um, they start as a junior analyst, they learn the trade, um, eventually become a senior consultant, a manager, senior manager and so on, right? Eventually become a, an expert, um, you know, as a partner. That's how I grew up. That's how, you know, most people I know grew up. But in this um, largely remote world staring, you know, staring at us. Um, I, I do wonder whether this model will, uh, will work uh, very well. Um, actually, I don't know. It's um, mostly a, a big question I'm trying to wrestle, uh, wrestle with myself uh, because if it's a remote and we have to bring um, young colleagues up to speed, uh, especially with projects becoming smaller and shorter duration and you know more lean, um, this will put some some pressure on the system. I think this will this will get resolved eventually, right? Because the cost economics will make it um, um, you know somewhat rationalized over time. Because while every client would like the most experienced people working on their projects, uh, those are also going to be uh, expensive uh, folks to hire, right? So in in bulk. So some kind of, um, you know, um, uh, a pyramid would be required um, in every project. But for near future, if we are starting more and more projects remote, um, I think this classical way of recruiting and training um, and putting people through um, several projects, right, to get experience, I think that will be one of the first challenges that this industry will have to face. Well, I think I'm right in saying that Infosys sent 10,000 students home last week that were, you know, that were at their, their, uh, uh, one of their large campuses. And you've got to think to yourself, well, hang on a second, what, what are they going to do, right? How, how are they going to learn? And yeah. that, that I'm sure is going to be true for many of the Indian um, providers, isn't it? Yeah, for sure, given, you know, they generally operate at a, um, at a larger volume um, offshore than... Um, other companies, um, you know, do here in, in the US. Um, mm. So definitely a, a bigger disruption for them, for sure. But I think this would be an industry-wide problem irrespective of geography. I think ev everybody will have to wrestle with this problem. 
Okay. I mean, obviously you're thinking about it. Do you have any preliminary thoughts as to where this goes at the moment or is it just too early? It, it is too early, right? As I mentioned before, you know, we are only a couple of weeks into this problem in, in its full force. Um, and I, I do hope and pray that, you know, we can get out of it soon enough. But, um, you know, I don't think anybody is actively solving it quite yet. Um, you know, because there are more pressing short-term problems, um, you know, getting all the customers up and running and making sure that, you know, they can close their books and fulfill orders and so on. So there are plenty of near-term problems to be, to be solved. Um, but once that gets reasonably, you know, like an 80% uh, solved, uh, then I'm sure, you know, service providers and clients will all start thinking about the medium and long-term uh, problems. Mm. And I wouldn't have thought about it either. I just had a long 30-hour, uh, you know, set of flights to get back from India to uh, to Phoenix. Um, so I had some time to uh, to sit and think about it, which is why, um, you know, I wrote about it. Sure, sure, sure. What what are, what are, what else amongst your little list there is is top of mind for you? Say say that again. Um, Sorry. That Based on the list of things that you wrote about, what would you say is top of mind for you other than what we've already discussed? Yeah, I, I think uh, the, the idea of collaboration, right, um, especially when everybody is remote, um, I think that would be one of the uh, top of mind issues, not just for me, but you know, everybody in, in similar roles um, in this industry. Uh, it is one thing when a lot of people work on site and a few people uh, are remote and we collaborate. That's, uh, that's not the same as when everybody is collaborating um, uh, from a remote setup. Uh, just to give you a, a, a quick snippet, and I, I wrote about that yesterday night on, on LinkedIn. Most of my meetings on Friday um, had this uh, very interesting aspect of how work and life uh, integration happens in this new world. I have a young colleague, a young partner um, in, in our team who had her little baby, you know, the most adorable little thing. Um, you know, he, he sat quietly on her lap while, while we were chatting. Um, another had a 10-year-old sitting next to him um, doing homework um, while the dad was uh, working on a price case with me on a, on a very, <laughs> very complicated spreadsheet, so on and so forth, right? So um, this is... Um, this is different, right? So the amount of productivity, the kind of work we get to do um, are all going to get affected. The tooling, right? I mean, when everybody gets online quickly, now uh, all these collaboration tools, they're all creaking, right? Whether it's WebEx or Zoom or, um, you know, whatever else we use, Slack or Microsoft Teams and so on. Um, everything will creak at some point, right? Because nobody expected, you know, uh, billions of people to be online um, trying to do this all of a sudden. So uh, the kind of features that we need when everybody is remote is very different from the kind of features we need when only some people are remote. So uh, that is one and it's, it's a um, make or break point for, for our industry as well, right? Because if this fails, um, there aren't a lot of backup options, right? So the quality of internet connection and the quality of collaboration tooling um, and also, obviously, there is a human aspect which you know overrides all of this. But that collaboration aspect is absolutely the the top of mind issue for me because if that fails, um, it's pretty tough. I I can't see uh, how how this industry will be productive if the uh, the collaboration suite doesn't hold up. 
Well, the, the, talking about the human elements of it, when you when you're when you can do face-to-face -face meetings, in-person meetings, it's relatively straightforward to resolve um, conflict. Yeah. Yeah. We agree. We disagree. We can agree to disagree. Move on. But when you're in a remote situation where maybe you don't have exactly the connectivity to be able to have even this type of communication, then you resort to having to write emails or letters or whatever the heck it is. How do you in those circumstances communicate in such a way that people don't go off the deep end as we've seen time and time again? And particularly as it stands at the moment in, on, on social media, just to that point, I, I, I'm now actively not going on certain social media at certain times and on certain days because it's just it just gets too ridiculous it's too difficult to deal with yeah how, how do we deal with this from a business standpoint yeah it's a it's a very complicated problem then right for example in 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 my business right it's a it's largely a relationship-based business right where sure we, we build relationships over a long period of time i have several great relationships with with my clients and my peers and once those relationships are established um you know, the online way of interacting um, is not super difficult. I mean, it is still difficult. Like, for example, um, I could have a four-hour negotiation with a client, um, might still have one or two points to resolve. And we could both decide that, hey, why don't we step out to the local Starbucks or, or to the local pub, right? Get a coffee or a beer and, and talk it through. Uh, there is no such option, right? When, when we are all remote. So a lot of standard procedures that we have all practiced over a, a long period of time. And another classic example, right? Most people, um, you know, by the time they become a senior manager in, in this industry, right? Uh, they get to be really good at presentations, right? So most of the presentation training is like 90% about how you present in person and maybe 10% about how you present online. Uh, it is a lot tougher to convince somebody online than convincing somebody in person uh, because a lot of body language and uh, phrases and so on, right, that you can use and, and also get immediate feedback because you're, you're seeing the audience and their reaction. That is very different when you try to do it, um, you know, on, on a webinar mode. So that's going to be a, a big challenge that we need to relearn some of these skills and it'll be, it'll be fundamentally different and, and quite disruptive, right? So the next generation, assuming we are shifting to largely an online way of working, um, I think they will have a, a very different set of what we currently call soft skills. I think some kind of a soft skills 2.0 will need to evolve and evolve pretty fast. Um, and this is not just a consultant problem. This is a, a larger enterprise problem, right? Everybody will have to figure this out yeah i i fully expect to see some pretty poor webinars over the course of the next few weeks webinars are pretty pretty boring to begin with right i mean it's very very tough even today um to uh, to hold a, a a good webinar uh, now when all training all events all regular meetings stand-ups when everything becomes online mm. um oh the the challenge will be significant so, okay, what, what, what does your week next week look like already, BJ? Much more of this kind of stuff, what we're doing right now? or Yeah, so uh, we're slowly getting back to, um, you know, normal functioning as in all the uh, scheduled meetings and scheduled client discussions and, and so on are happening. A lot of time uh, is being spent working with our clients on, um, you know, risk mitigation and, um, 
you know, planning for, um, you know, alternate scenarios and, and, and so on. Uh, I would expect that to continue for a, a, a few more weeks. Um, and then I, I expect maybe in a month's time, we'll be just operating in a, a fairly normal mode, um, you know, compared to the past, just that we will all be online. But that is when all these online communication, the collaboration aspects, right, that will start to creak even more. Uh, so I, I hope we are adaptable and we can learn fast, right? So that we, we don't suffer a huge productivity loss. Um, and, and then that human aspect of whether we can all stay motivated when we are all quarantined in our own homes, right? Not seeing each other, uh, that will be a huge challenge that um, we are doing, you know, simple things like um, we all catch a drink and, and get on um, an online platform and, you know, see each other, crack jokes, uh, exchange tips on um, how to keep our kids, um, you know, um, you know, continuing their education and so on. So uh, initially the first week, 10 days, I think it's, it's been fine. Whether we can keep up that momentum for a, a longer period of time remains to be seen. I'm very hopeful, right? I mean, people do adapt, um, especially in crisis. So I'm, I'm fairly hopeful, but it, it does remain to be seen what challenges will happen. Yeah, it, it, I saw something that's kind of amusing, um, or at least Judith told me about something. She said um, a woman had come online on her, her local Facebook group saying, first, first week of, of uh, homeschooling, can somebody explain to me what a split diagram is? <laughs> it's, it's like, I, I don't know. <laughs> We're all going to be faced with those kind of challenges, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be. I, I was just joking on Twitter a few days ago that if you really thought teachers are the problem, you're, you're just going to have an awakening of your life. <laughs> are, are your teachers fairly well prepared? Ours, it's very variable around here. Some of them are, some of them aren't. So um, I have uh, really no idea because my daughter's school was uh, closed um, or announced that they're closed till end of the month. So her online education has not started yet. Uh, it will only start from the beginning of April. Uh, but my sister's son recently started it and it's been a, a rough start. Um, they, you know, the, the teachers are also kind of learning on, on the job at, at this point. Um, yeah. And the kids don't have the kind of attention span, um, you know, uh, and that's a that's a little bit of a challenge because the attention span in class and the attention span online uh, are two different things. And uh, teachers are also calibrating apparently um, on how to how to deal with that. And parents are totally unprepared, right? They have no baseline. They haven't tried this before, right? So uh, many parents are also struggling uh, a to learn how to work online themselves and b uh, help their kids work online and then. Nobody's used to both spouses working together from home. Uh, maybe not nobody, but I'm sure there are some folks who do it well. Uh, but vast majority of us are not used to that, right? So uh, uh, when physical space is limited and uh, you have, you know, uh, the two spouses and a couple of kids all, and you know, in our case, uh, dogs too, all all trying to uh, use the same internet connection and. Uh, be in physical proximity and try to get things done. You know, there are, there are some challenges and. Uh... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We've, we've told, we've told the kids, you know, all our children, as you know, are grown up and uh, we said, it's, it's okay. You don't need to come round. <laughs> Yeah, please don't, please don't I, come round. <laughs> this is what I, I tell everybody at work um, and also to my clients as well, right? That 
for near future uh, don't beat yourself up on uh, lack of perfection right let's just try figuring this out um, as we go right just be a, a little more kind to each other uh, along the way we will we'll figure out efficiency and effectiveness and so on right i mean it's let's let's at least keep the ball rolling don't don't uh, sweat over perfection quite yet and that's what i'm going to tell my daughter as well right that it's it's fine right don't don't beat yourself up too much right we are all learning this on the fly so uh, just just be kind be be humane BJ, that's a great place to call it a draw on this one, man. That, that's, that's the kind of message that I'm, I'm so glad that you came up with because uh, I think we need a lot more of that at this moment, don't you? Yeah, I, I agree. Um, always great catching up with you, Dan. Uh, we haven't done one in a, in a long time. And uh, uh, thank you for having me. You're looking really good, by the way. You're looking, you're looking younger by the bloody day. I'm just getting older, man. <laughs> That's mostly because my my mom uh, just before I left back for uh, for the US insisted that I cut and color my hair before I got into a plane. That's <laughs> okay, BJ, listen, we'll call it a draw there, man. Great talking to you. Have a fabulous weekend, eh? All righty, thanks, Dan. You too. Cheers, now. Bye, bye.